You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And this week's guest is Johannes Morus, the co-founder and CMO at Relic Solutions. I think marketing is kind of the necessary evil. We need to get the word out, otherwise we don't get the opportunity to help these companies. Welcome back to a new episode of the SAS Nordic podcast. And um, Daniel, we are keeping pretty busy. I think this is the first episode since New Year. And now, you know, we are doing SAS Nordic full time. You actually became a father on Christmas Eve. Yes. So how is life with uh, two small kids? Um, sometimes I wake up and uh, just want to cry <laughs> <laughs> because the night was way too short. But uh, all, all jokes aside, it's like we love it. It's a blessing. We're super excited. So yes, we welcome a, a baby daughter here at Christmas Eve. So yeah. for us, it was uh, really cool. And I think on top of that, it's like you have two small children and then in, in midst of that exercise, you and I decide like, let's leave our corporate jobs to do this full-time, properly full-time. Exactly. So uh, yeah, I, I think we've, we've had uh, an interesting start and I think your start was also interesting, although slightly different. Yeah, you got the baby girl and I got COVID, so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I guess you get what you deserve. Exactly. <clears throat> and actually we are hoping to get to Thailand here with the whole family for for five weeks. So that, that's how it, that's how it goes. We go and start a business together, and then your, <laughs> then your business partner decides to be like, "Ciao!" Like four four weeks into the new venture, I'm spending a month in Thailand. Great, exactly. Great. <laughs> but also, we have had a great start so far. The interest for our new networks, uh, the executive network and the CEO network, has been fantastic. It looks like we're gonna exceed a hundred CEOs joining the movement, all being Nordic B two B SaaS CEOs, and that's gonna be amazing. And and it's going to be something that we're going to put a lot of time of effort in during 2022, but it's going to be great fun. Yeah. If you're a CEO and you haven't signed up and you're listening to this, buddy or budette, Friday is your last chance of this week. Do it now. Uh, head over to sasnodic.com. You will see a link where you can go to the CEO network. Apply now or it's too late. Yes. You snooze, you lose. You snooze, you lose. And... Um, Another thing, of course, SASIS 2022 is around the corner. Uh, in end of April, we're going to do the Sastor of the Nordics, the largest SAS event you have ever seen in this region. Uh, we're going to be in Malmö. We're aiming for a thousand people. And uh, yeah, don't miss it. Don't miss it. And like, you know, I don't want to spill the beans, but like, Thomas, we got to give them something here, like, you know, a little bit of a cliffhanger. There's going to be amazing speakers there and there's going to be some really really special individuals there that you don't want to miss out on cool so more about that another time but now we have a really interesting guest and uh, i want to dive directly into the interview today we are very happy to have Johannes Morus, the co-founder and cmo at relex solution here as a guest in the sas nordic podcast so welcome Johanna. Thank you. Happy to be here. Welcome. So great to have you here. And for the people that don't know Johanna, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who is Johanna? Wow, that's a, that's a difficult question to start with. So yeah, I've spent most of my work life with Relax Solutions. So Relax was founded in 
2005, and before that, I did research on supply chains. So I have a PhD in supply chain management, um, which means that I've actually never had a real job in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like you mentioned, you've spent uh, a lot of your career on your uh, passion project, your own business here, Relics. For the people that don't know Relics, can, can you introduce Relics to our audience? Yeah, so Relax Solutions is a SaaS company. We work with the retail value chains, so retailers, wholesale companies, manufacturers, and we do a lot of number crunching behind the scenes to make these companies more operationally efficient. Um, so supply chain is a big part of that, making sure that they get the products to the consumers as efficiently as possible with as little waste as possible. But then we also optimize, for example, use of human resources, capacity, space in stores, uh, and that sort of thing. Right. So who is your ideal customers? Who is Relics, you know, maybe their most important system for or uh, the ones that know, knows you the best? Yeah, so we work with six of the 15 biggest retailers globally. Okay. So these are huge companies. Uh, you can name drop a few of them. <laughs> yeah. So for example, uh, Aldi Nord, the big discounter is one of our clients. And we also work with, for example, Ocean in France. And then, um, yeah, lots of different types of companies. So, for example, PetSmart with, with, you know, pet supplies and uh, bookstores and, uh, yeah, right. lots of different types of retail. Yeah. Um, so, I'd say there isn't one ideal customer. Uh, the benefits obviously get bigger with volume. So, the more decisions you have to make. Um, the more impact you get from automizing and, and uh, optimizing these um, decisions. But we write, like all types of retailers and everyone has their own intricacies. So, for example, with um, the pet companies, we need to figure out how to, for example, stock turtles in the most efficient way because there's a limit to how many turtles you can fit into a habitat and then you need to keep track of what kind of turtles they are and so on. And of course, in, for example, bookstores, uh, Christmas season is crazy. And then, of course, in groceries, super important that products are really fresh because otherwise you get waste. Right. And that's that's bad for business and it's bad for the environment. So it sounds that uh, it's not only that you can handle a large amount of volume, you can also handle different complexities. And so that that applies to to various industries. Indeed, indeed. And I think we kind of thrive on complexity. So we like a challenge and see it as a kind of a good opportunity to show what you can do with, with really kind of clever uh, optimization. Cool. Very cool. So let's dig into some of the numbers just to put your business in, in perspective here for, for the audience. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your ARR and how quickly you guys are growing year over year? Yeah, so actually since the beginning, we've uh, been in hyper growth mode. So for 16 years now, so we've been growing um, on average about 50% annually. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. 
Um, and this year is going to be a bit bit bigger. So the growth rate has actually accelerated. That's even more amazing. Usually it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a great achievement from the team. But also I do think that there's been a bit of an awakening in the retail community um, based on the pandemic and all the hassle, especially in the supply chains that we've been seeing, that you actually really need these tools. It's not a nice to have, it's must have, because uh, although nobody wants to see another pandemic after this one, there's a lot of extreme weather events, there's just lots of uncertainties. And if you don't have that, for example, supply chain visibility, it's easy to get really lost and uh, basically jeopardize your whole business. So I think there's also increased demand now. Yeah. So with all this going on, like what, what will you end your year at? What's, what's the ARR here when we close the books for the year? Yeah, we haven't closed the books yet. So who knows? <laughs> this is a really, really kind of intense time uh, of uh, closing the quarter and so on. But I think it's safe to say that, that um, we are past 100 million in, in AR. That's amazing. And the currency there, what currency are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's actually a really relevant question because the difference between euros and dollars at the moment is is pretty significant. But uh, being a Finnish company, we, we calculate in euros. Yeah, then it's a good number. It's, it's a good number. We, we approve. <laughs> I, I, thank you. Thank you so very much. <laughs> great, great. And, and you mentioned a little bit here in the beginning, but can you say a little bit about the, how big your reach is? Like, you know, how, how many customers do you actually have in your Rolodex? How many markets are you guys present in? Yeah, so we have about, I'd say, 300 clients. This is actually a surprisingly difficult number to uh, calculate because uh, a lot of our customers have operations in many countries and, and so on. So is it one customer or is it 10 customers? But I'd say 300 roughly is, is a good estimate. Um, we are really strong in Europe and the US and are currently uh, seeing a lot of traction in Asia Pacific. Okay. And uh, we just entered um, South America this year. So that also looks promising. Yeah, and that's very interesting. And we're going to dive down a little bit into your international journey in a while. But first, I'm interested in what does it look like with funding and ownership of Relex? So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, <clears throat> we did... Um, develop Relax through bootstrapping for a very long time. Okay. How long? We raised funding for the first time in 2015. Oh, so you had 10 years of bootstrapping. Yes. And okay. uh, the thought there was that it tends to be better to get the money from actual paying clients than to spend time with investors raising money. <laughs> uh, so we felt that instead of getting, you know, for example, at the start, a couple of hundred thousands and spending a lot of time raising that, that capital, that time is, is better spent with, with actual potential clients figuring out what they are willing to pay for. Okay. Uh, but we did raise funding in 2015 as part of our expansion to the US because it's just um, it's big investment to go from Europe 
to the US. It's not possible to do in a kind of lean, mean, low cost way. You really need to have a team on the ground from the get go. And when you can't hire the cheap Finnish labor, you have to (laughs) hire the international folks as well. (laughs) I'm not so sure about that, but I think uh, if you expand in, in Europe, for example, the time zones and distances are just such a small problem compared to trying to do something in the US from Europe. So you just need to, to have a full team from, from the start. Okay. But that's when, when I, ra- when we raised funding for the first time to basically, um, get enough fuel for the US expansion. And then, uh, we were in the news a couple of years ago before the pandemic, uh, when TCV invested a uh, hundred and seventy-five million euros in, in Relax Solutions. Okay, so how much have you raised in total so far? Uh, I don't have the exact number actually, but obviously the TCV investment is, is is the kind of significant one. It's the big chunk. Yeah. Yeah. And what does the ownership look like now? I mean, you bootstrap from the beginning. How much is left uh, with the founders? We have a pretty big stake in the company. So together with the kind of uh, employee shareholders, uh, it's about a 50-50 split between the investors and, oh. and, and then the kind of um, employees, including us. Makes the first 10 hard years worth it, I guess. Yeah, I think it makes a difference, of course, when, when you raise capital. So um, it's easier to get good terms when you do it later on and have a proven business and and revenue and and that sort of thing. I have to ask you, Johanna, so like when you're at this stage, what do you see for yourself and the owners going forward? Not for the business, but for yourself, what's the end game? Uh, For myself, uh, I personally never been motivated by money. Um, what I'm really keen on is doing something worth being proud of. So that applies to the technology. It doesn't make sense to be a technology business if you don't aim for having the hands down best technology. But I'm also very keen on developing Relax into a good place to work. So I think um, social responsibility is, is quite uh, high up on my agenda. That makes a lot of sense. And we didn't cover it in the beginning when you talked about yourself. You are not only the co-founder, but the CMO of Relix. And uh, I know that you once said that you, you weren't really into marketing. So uh, <laughs> what's the story about that? Yeah, I can probably be labeled the reluctant marketer. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about the improvements that we can deliver to our customers. So that's really what, you know, rocks my boat, uh, being able to make processes more efficient, reduce waste, uh, all those things. But then um, I think marketing is kind of the necessary evil. We need to get the word out. Otherwise, we don't get the opportunity to help these companies. Um, so I'm not really that passionate about marketing. It's it's a means to an end. And the end being being able to improve all these processes that are out there. Then I guess it's much, uh, much about hire the right people to uh, to execute on 
on what you want to accomplish. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd say my role in marketing is helping the marketing team understand what we do and what makes us different because this is pretty hardcore data processing stuff. Yeah. Um, so sometimes you need a translator in between, but the marketing team that we have is really doing all the heavy lifting and, and the fabulous stuff that, that we present to the world. Yeah, because it, it's a leap from being a PhD in supply chain management uh, to, to drive the marketing department from a huge SaaS company. So it's, uh, yeah. Not the most usual path, I would say. Yeah, on the other hand, it's probably not the most usual path to go from academia to, to you know, creating a growth business. So, you know, somebody just got to do it. And that's basically <laughs> been my attitude uh, throughout the years. Yeah. I've done lots of things at Relax, obviously. My least favorite part was legal stuff. Now, luckily, we have a legal team, so so <laughs> I don't need to touch that anymore. <laughs> but, you know, when you are starting up, you have to be willing to do things that you don't know exactly how to do and are not always super motivating. But I think I get really motivated by understanding that this needs to be done. And, you know, wow, at this point, we don't have anyone who is going to do this better <laughs> than me. So, you know, absolutely better do it. <laughs> That's amazing. It's a great attitude. And I think that also brings us a little bit to, to the main theme of today. You know, obviously, you guys are successful in all kinds of ways. One of the, the, the things that stands out from you being a Nordic company is how you've successfully managed to take on the world you know uh, we're running a community here and i see you on network and one of the main topics is always about scaling international inter internalization and so on something that you guys have mastered and i know that recently you got even some award from the, the finnish government or something like that what, what was that about yeah it was the internationalization award uh, um, given by the president of finland Whoa. unfortunately he did have the sniffles that week so we did not <laughs> get an opportunity to shake his hand but had to settle for a video greeting which is not quite the same thing but i think it's quite appropriate for for these couple of years yeah that's really cool and wh what do you have to to do to to get this award and get this recognition because I know there's some really great companies in the past that they received it as well. Yeah, I think what they are looking for is really um, how big a chunk of the business uh, is driven by international business and for relaxes way beyond 90% of our revenue. So from a kind of government perspective, of course, getting exportation income is is a good good deal so i think that's one of the things that they're looking for and of course they are looking um, towards the future so they don't want to award people who are kind of reaching their peak but rather companies where they see potential for further growth right but uh, it all started with you going into sweden once upon a time so can you tell us a little bit about uh, how that went about. Yeah, so um, the first couple of years we spent in Finland. Uh, I think every new client at that time was also an R&D project. We did different retail verticals, so consumer electronics, books, uh, agricultural retail. They all came with their own unique challenges. So okay. um, the first couple of years we really kind of uh, productized 
our offering. And then at some point we felt that the product is now kind of clearly defined and uh, solid enough that we can start expanding to other markets. And um, yeah, I think it was a case of there is no one else that will do this better, so better do it myself. So uh, at some point, I, I, I think this was uh, the fall of 2009, I started cold calling, cold emailing companies in Sweden, because I'm also Swedish speaking, so to see if we can actually sell our offering outside of Finland. So that was kind of the first stepping stone towards internationalization. Are there any people outside Finland that are willing to buy from us? And then um, when I got enough um, meetings booked, I invested in plane tickets and uh, flew over and uh, got the ball rolling. So eventually we managed to see some traction in the market, um, starting to implement uh, our offering, building a local team to be able to deliver and keep customers satisfied. And uh, then the next step for me was to do the same thing with Norway, mm. still leveraging my Moomin Swedish with the Norwegians. <laughs> and uh, when I got Norway uh, rolling, I um, expanded into Denmark and then <laughs> but but when you're talking about this it seems to be a, a one one man or one woman show here so how did you scale this how, how did you, you know continue upon that initial success yeah so um in the early days it was the probably the leanest go to market i'm not sure in the history of of SaaS startups but you know it, it's probably in the in the top 20 at least globally so no fixed costs, uh, no investments really, uh, just making a pilot to see if this is doable before spending any money. Okay. And then uh, when we saw that this is actually doable, um, we did um, in parallel with the Nordics uh, reach out to uh, the UK and Germany as the first kind of outside Finland bigger markets. But we did it actually in a pretty similar way. So we took some um, kind of well-trained um, Relexians uh, from Finland and sent them to the UK and Germany to build up operations there. So it was a pretty similar model. Okay, so so they, they moved there or did they yes. sort of just... Okay, yeah. Yeah, so people relocated uh, to these markets and then we started building the local teams. But then uh, when we found that we have a good understanding of, of how to enter a new market, we've, of course, done uh, things differently uh, mm. in the more recent years. So, um, But was there anything in the beginning that you now, with your experience, would have done differently? Or was that the best way of doing it at that moment? Um, it's easy to you know, make decisions hindsight when you, when you know how, how things play out. So I think it was the right decision because at that point, if we had made huge investments and then realized that this model doesn't actually work, it could have been fatal. It could have been a fatal mistake. Right. So the reason why we did it this way was that we didn't have, uh, all the information of how this is going to play out 
and we didn't have a lot of uh, extra cash, for example, to do these kinds of investments. Mm. So it was a kind of um, way to really reduce risk to the minimum while still investing enough uh, to make sure that it's actually doable. Right. So I think the big change now is that when we go into a new market, we do it more aggressively and uh, recruit local uh, personnel from the get-go instead of uh, doing it in this kind of lean and, and very careful, uh, no investment uh, way. Right. So uh, I, I 100% get and stand by uh, the one-woman show and you busting the phone and, and cold emails and, and uh, you know managing the Nordics all, all by yourself. I'm, uh, I'm a little bit curious because when you said the bigger markets outside of Finland and when you took on UK and Germany, was there an element or moment where you felt we now have enough proof that our solution will fly there? Now we're making the commitment. And what was that proof? Yeah, so um, the UK was chosen deliberately because that's where all the US companies start their European journey. So mm -hmm. we chose it because we knew that we would face the fiercest competition in Europe uh, from that perspective. So we really wanted to early on check that we can compete and win against big US competitors. Uh, Germany we chose because it's a huge market. Right. And that one has actually been a really tough call for uh, US companies because there are some cultural differences, language barriers and so on. And of course, we also were a bit opportunistic because we did have this stellar person with a PhD in supply chain management, also fluent in German, that was willing to relocate and, and try out that market. But still, these kind of first bigger markets were also built up in a fairly kind of slow and lean way. Right. So we were still seeking proof from those markets. And then when we felt that we are successful in the UK and Germany, uh, we have changed the go-to-market for the other um, companies or the other countries that we've added so we have been uh, recruiting for example local staff uh, much more aggressively uh, at the start SAS Nordic is growing and now we're launching a unique peer-to-peer -peer community on Slack. My name is Nina, I'm the SAS Nordic Community Manager and I would like to invite you to join this exciting forum. This will be the place to network, collaborate and share knowledge with other SAS professionals in the Nordics. The SAS Nordic community is free and open to everyone working in Nordic SAS companies. Come join us at sasnordic.com, we can't wait to have you on board. You mentioned that in the beginning here as well, also that there was one way of doing it back in the days for natural reasons, and, and now you scale markets differently. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about what every Nordic SaaS company is trying to crack, how to enter the U.S. market? What was your take? Yeah, the U.S. is a tricky market. It's a very busy market, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of noise. So it's really hard to stand out in a market like that. That's why we felt that it's impossible to go in in a very, very kind of lean way. Right. So you need to, you need to kind of 
go for the full price or not go at all, kind of testing the waters is is not probably a great option. It's true what they say. It's a it's a pay to play market. It is a pay to play market, but it's also I do think that you do have real advantages from having, for example, a better product than the others, but it's going to be a lot more hard work to show that to your clients because uh, it's also a market that is very hyped and uh, the promises made are really large and loud. Yeah, and here we come into marketing again because here, here you also need to come with a strong message and you have to break through the noise and maybe not overpromise, but definitely not underrepresent your product. Yeah, I think that's my, my kind of key challenge in marketing. That I do see the whole chain from marketing through sales to implementation to customer success. And I'm a firm believer that you promise and then you deliver or preferably over deliver. So I would have a really hard time to go and fight the battle of overhyping, overpromising, and then face the consequences of not being able to deliver. Yeah. So that's really not an option. So then you need to find other ways. And I think we've been um, quite successful in... Uh, for example, changing our sales model in a way where we show clients what we do and what value that will deliver as part of the sales process. Right. So not just having hype words on slides, but actually taking their data and as much data as possible. So everything you have, give it to us. <laughs> and then we'll be, do you have some more? Uh, and then do all the data crunching, data processing, showing in real life what this means. And that's been pretty compelling. So it's seeing is believing. Is that the strategy that you, you have? Yeah, show, don't tell, I'd say. Okay. So yeah, yeah you Super. need to do some telling and that's the marketing. But I still think that showing is a great way to stand out, especially if the others are only telling and not showing. So uh, that's been a key success factor. But one thing that, one advice that we took when we were considering entering the US market was um, people told us that you have to send a co-founder to the US, otherwise this will not fly. Right. Uh, and that's something we took seriously. So um, Michael, um, one of our co-founders, relocated to the US, went there, started building the team, uh, creating the relax culture on another continent. So I think that was actually crucially important. I think the outcome would have been quite different if we didn't have that strong link um, to the kind of mother company, the core of Relax. Cool. How did you decide who uh, who went to the US? Yeah. <laughs> was it like uh, drawing sticks, or was it you know the one who won, the one who the one who lost, or <laughs> it was a raffle? Yeah, I have to say that um, this is one of the occasions where it came in really handy to have three co-founders because at that time our CEO Mikko was already uh, in the UK okay. and his wife had told him that, yes, I can relocate to the UK, but I will not accept going farther than this. Okay, so one down, two left. That was an absolute no. 
And then I was actually assigned to do this. But then I got pregnant. So <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the optimal time to, to relocate and then start up Relax USA. Okay. So then it was like, you know what, Michael? <laughs> We have one left, and that is you. And you're not pregnant. Indeed. And uh, he accepted and, and uh, got the adventure of a lifetime. So now you have that you can call dibs on the next cool market. Maybe that's somewhere in Asia or Africa or so. <laughs> yeah, I actually uh, have mentioned several times that if we start up a regional office in Hawaii, I'm, yeah. I'm available. <laughs> okay. Very cool. Um, and actually, I think, Thomas, that's a very interesting topic, speaking a little bit about Asia. But um, I'm curious to just stay for another minute on the U.S. topic. How long time did it take you, months, years, to make North America a break-even market for you and your business? All in all, we haven't really been uh, that worried about break-even. So um, we were counting on uh, the U.S. being a loss leader because we were just investing in growth and uh, also we prioritized growth uh, over profit um, in the last few years. Right. Um, so that wasn't really something that we were paying attention to. What we were looking at was market traction, um, being able to see that there is a path of growth, significant growth, uh, and then we were just planning the kind of necessary resourcing accordingly. Mm. So it was not a question of how long does it take to break even. It was a question of can we get sufficient market traction, then this market will be profitable. We can turn it profitable anytime we want. It's just a question of how much do you invest in growth. So it was kind of a non-issue from that perspective. Gotcha. But how much of your uh, business is now in the U.S.? I don't have the exact number, uh, unfortunately, but it's a really significant part of our business nowadays. So we've seen really, really big growth and we do expect it to surpass uh, Europe fairly soon. It's it's just such a big market. Okay, great. And... Uh... Now that you, you, you are present in all these markets, and I know you're approaching new markets as well, from an organizational perspective, with the knowledge you have and the resources you have, organizationally, how do you approach a new market now? Yeah, so um, the biggest change is that we go for establishing a local team with local market understanding, um, local relationships uh, from the start. So, for example, now that we're entering South America, we've um, started by recruiting some salespeople, some pre-sales people, so kind of bringing in the subject matter expertise on a detailed level uh, to the sales conversations, as well as, as uh, some marketing resources. And, of course, uh, finding uh, partners that can help us in implementations and ensuring that we also have the uh, delivery staff that we need from our own perspective. So kind of really having all the building blocks in place from the start rather than kind of waiting for the first couple of clients and, and building as we go. It's, it's a 360 approach, a little bit different from when you approached, I guess, Sweden and Norway. <laughs> yeah, I think my 360 approach was that I, I did um, sales 
uh, pre-sales, um, scoping, legal, and implementation. So I, I guess that was 360 <laughs> as well, but not super scalable. Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Big achievement and congratulations to, to the whole journey here. Uh, one thing that you mentioned when we talked before was sustainability. And uh, why is that relevant for you as a SaaS company? I think it should be relevant for each and everyone. So I don't think it's it's a topic that's somehow exclusive to some companies and not to others. So I think that's the big shift that we're seeing in the world, that we are all understanding that we have a role to play in this, both as kind of people, but also as companies. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something that just has to be in there. And uh, I also see that, for example, our employees are really concerned about sustainability. But how do you work actively with this at Relex? Yeah, so um, obviously I think the biggest, biggest thing that we do is that we help our customers be more efficient and that actually goes hand in hand with sustainability. So the clearest example is reduced food waste. Okay. That's super measurable and that can be kind of um, easily translated into a reduced carbon footprint. Um, we also make, for example, transportation more efficient by ensuring that the trucks are full and not kind of transporting air uh, yeah. across the country. So that's the key part, I think, having a positive impact through our offering. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't give us a license to cheat, obviously. So we also, as a company, need to um, take responsibility. Yeah. And that's why we've uh, spent... This last year, mapping our own carbon footprint. Okay. Uh, so, for example, what uh, energy we use, um, how much energy we spend on data processing, what's the kind of hardware lifecycle impact, uh, because we do a lot of number crunching. Yeah. And um, the nice thing is that if you just look at food waste, um, the kind of return on investment uh, on our own data processing carbon footprint is about 100 times. So the positive impact is 100 times bigger uh, than the carbon footprint of our data processing. Okay, yeah, because that's something, you know, you talk about digitizing and you, you, a lot of things and that having things digital is, is always more environmental friendly, but th then there is also the other part of it that it also takes a lot of energy to, to run these computers and so on. I mean, it's discussions when it comes to cryptocurrency and so on that, uh, you know, it, it uh, consumes a lot of energy. But, but, but as you said, you have, you have cal calculated on the value you get from, from your data processing. Yeah. And, and, and this, um, this research that you did internally, did it lead to any concrete changes? Have you changed anything yeah so obviously um it's nice to know the facts right and then uh, we've been collecting a lot more data on for example what kind of energy we use in the offices and so on and uh, one kind of tangible result of all this is that we will be going carbon neutral so um yes we have a positive impact through the clients but then we want to be carbon neutral in the sense that all the uh, emissions that we generate, we want to compensate and, of course, have a kind of roadmap for reducing those uh, over the years. So um, that's a big thing that, that we're going to do next year when we have all the facts for this year 
and then kind of continue doing that and, and reducing our carbon footprint. Who's in charge of this on your end? Is there a person that's in charge of this exercise? Well, um, I think we still have the, the nice kind of uh, startup view on things that whomever is interested so you're doing it. can start doing <laughs> things. So I think the whole sustainability kind of analysis and things like that used to be on my table just because I was really keen on seeing some some progress in this area. But now, uh, as things go, we, we have our head of sustainability in place and, and we're actually expanding the team uh, as we speak. Interesting. And But what is in the future for Relics going forward? Um, as I mentioned, we're really very much a growth company and it's kind of in our DNA to, to keep growing. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just make things a lot more exciting and motivating. It creates a lot of hassle, of course, but I, I think from the perspective of, of the people we have on board, this is what they like doing. Um, so we are planning for continued growth. There's uh, quite a lot of market still out there to capture. Uh, so for example, in, in North America, Still lots of companies, unfortunately, who haven't heard about Relax yet. So still some work to do uh, from a marketing perspective as well. Then the new geographies and uh, what we see is as super interesting is, is kind of expanding in the retail value chain. So we have focused quite a bit on retailers um, until recently. And now we're more and more expanding upstream to the manufacturers as well because uh, the pandemic has really illustrated that the supply chain is a bit broken. There isn't good collaboration between retailers and suppliers and suppliers do have limited visibility into what's going on in the market. So we do see that there's a huge opportunity in, in kind of linking um, the different parts of the supply chain more tightly together and that way increasing again, efficiency and sustainability. Okay. And looking ahead on, on your amazing journey that's to come, are you looking for anything particular to support that? What we need to support that growth is a lot of talented people. That's the kind of critical resource for making magic happen. So that's uh, the kind of alpha and omega of doing all these things. You need to have the right people on board. Um, so that's that's really... Uh, a key topic for us and probably the reason I'm on this podcast. So, you know, if, if there's some good talent out there, <laughs> you know, where, 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 where it's needed. <laughs> okay. okay, but to be a little bit more specific, what kind of roles and in what markets are you looking for people? We are looking in all markets. So all markets are growing, which is a positive challenge. It means that there are lots of exciting opportunities uh, in pretty much all facets of the business. And then, of course, being a tech company, we do uh, scout for R&D people constantly. And uh, our main R&D hub is in Helsinki. But we've also, for example, established a hub in Portugal, in Lisbon. Uh, and we have um, a smaller team in the UK as well. So there are opportunities uh, in different markets. But I do think Portugal would sound uh, pretty pretty good from my perspective. <laughs> yeah, right now it sounds really good. So <laughs> There you go. So if you're listening to this uh, episode, 
and you heard Johanna speak and she sold this well, I think, then you know where to apply. Where do they apply? Did they go to the website somewhere? Yeah. So if, if you look at careers uh, at Relax Solutions, you'll find, I think, maybe a hundred open positions. So Whoa. there should be a good chance to find something that's uh, that's interesting to you. Yeah. And, and when you land the job in Portugal, uh, I think you should invite me and Daniel down there also to, you know. We can do podcasts from there. That sounds fair, right? Yeah. That sounds like a reasonable, fair arrangement. <laughs> e- excellent. Excellent. Oh, th- this this was um, amazing in all, in all kinds of ways, having you on the show, uh, Johanna. Um, who would you like to see next on the show? Um, as I mentioned, sustainability is really kind of close to my heart. And I know there's a lot of uh, companies tackling really big problems. Yep. So it would be really cool to hear about the, one of these companies that really want to change the world. Either a really kind of startup with a crazy novel idea or then maybe a, someone a bit more established, but, you know, having a nice projection of, of having a great impact uh, on the world. Okay. No one that is top of mind there that we should reach out to? I don't have one. That's why, why I'm asking you. I think there's still a bit too much buzz in the SaaS community, you know, too much focus on venture capital exactly. and ARR and all those things. I would like to shift the focus a bit more towards the, these other things as well. Right. Let's see what we can do. But uh, Johanna, it was an honor having you on the show. Uh, really interesting to hear about your growth journey and uh, you know the amazing story that you have bootstrapping for 10 years and then growing this to one of the Nordics, uh, I would say, largest and fastest growing SaaS companies. So uh, amazing. Thank you. I think it's amazing too. <laughs> I'm glad you agree. <laughs> oh, love it. Okay. Have a fantastic weekend now and we'll speak soon again. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. So Daniel, what's the takeaways from this episode? I think, is it weird to say that I have a, a little bit of a, of a professional crush on Johanna? Oh. Is that too much? No, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, I mean, from the very first conversation we had with her till, till the very last, I mean, <laughs> she's just hilarious. And so competent. I mean, she, she could have run the whole business herself. She, she almost did. Yes. So with, with 10 Johannas, they could, you know, go really big. You you go really far. Uh, you go really far, and I think it's it's super impressive. About you know, one it it shows her skill set, how she managed to do all those kinds of roles and took on a big responsibility in herself. But I think it's also what what she highlights a little bit. It's the grit. She's like somebody's got to do it, and I'm going to do it. And uh, I think we can relate to that because that's a little bit our world and our reality. Well, all the things we do that you know in the larger. <laughs> In the larger scenario, we, we, we shouldn't do. <laughs> exactly. But uh, l- l- looking back at the, the, at the chat we had with her, like, I think super impressive, really insightful. If there's going to be one thing I'm going to highlight here is that uh, what I think I heard was that there's an evolution in their go-to-market approach, you know, from Johanna busting the phones on her own in the beginning, taking one Nordic country at a time, to having a slightly different approach right now and maybe putting some more muscle into it when they when they take on new markets. But I think it just goes to show that, you know, run with the resources you have, use it and leverage the power you have at any given time. And then the more muscle, the more resources you have, adjust and deploy that into the new markets. What about you, Thomas? What's, uh, was there anything that stood out here for you? 
Now, besides being totally starstruck with uh, with Johanna, I think I have a soft spot for companies that really takes their product seriously to make a superior product. And also, I mean, we talked about marketing, but uh, she rather over deliver on the promise. And uh, I sympathize with that. And, and if you can do it, do it. Yeah. Full respect. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. And I, you know. She really made a point in the, in the conversation saying that we are much more showing than telling compared to some of the comp- competitors. It's like, give them the demos, the data analysis, the breakdowns, give them what you can give them. Uh, and I think it was refreshing to hear that because a lot of people are holding back. Yeah, exactly. In total, a big amount of fresh air from the east uh, came to us so we appreciate that and looking forward to to uh, meet Johanna in many other uh, venues going forward yes you'll see her at Sassiest of course all right take care now bye bye